Thank you for downloading the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast. You can find more helpful advice at focusonthefamily.com slash parentingpodcast. It's pretty typical to want to tell your son or a daughter that they're exceptional. They stand out from other kids their age. After all, they're the most special child in your life. But if you're not careful, you can put a lot of pressure on your children to be the best at anything they try because mom or dad expects it. I'm John Fuller, along with Dr. Danny Huerta, who leads our parenting and youth department here at Focus on the Family. And uh, we're going to turn to a conversation Jim Daly and I had with authors Michael Anderson and Dr. Timothy Johansson, offering some helpful tips for correcting your child's misbehavior. Anytime you can count on somebody's behavior, you can use it to your advantage. And we can count on our kids to be self-serving. So if it costs them to leave their bike on the yard, they're going to remember on their own, and they're not going to leave it out the next night, which will take another reminder or another threat. So I'm supposed to fine my child like a buck if they leave their bike outside? Is that what you're saying? It might take that, but there's other ways to be creative about it. It just has to cost them something. Give us some examples of that, because I appreciate John's question there, because I think, again, if you're living in the reminder parenting style or the... uh, uh, threat parenting style. Well, take the example of the bike. Yeah. A 10-year-old yeah. doesn't put his bike away. It's sitting in the yard. Put the bike up on hooks in the top of the garage, and he can't reach it for a week. And don't say a thing. Just do it when he's not around. And uh, he'll come home the next day, want to use his bike. It's hanging up there. He can't get to it. And if he wants to ask about it, he will. And you can say, you didn't bring your bike in last night. You'll have it next Monday. And that's it. And that's it. That's unfair, um, Dad. D- don't argue with that. Yeah, you back yeah, away from that. You just back away from that. There's no reason to engage with a kid who's saying that's not fair. And with good kids, it just takes two hours. They could lose their bike for two hours. You don't have to start with a week because a lot of kids really want to be good. Hmm. It's not their desire to be bad kids. And they want their bike. But the follow-up might be the next week, I'm just saying, just in my home. Just a what if. No, a friend of mine <laughs> friend might of mine. have a child who would dog just the parent until they scream in frustration about, the, if, if I can't have the bike, then I can't do this, and I can't do that, and that, da-da-da-da-da. So there's a tendency to want to shut off that whining, that badgering, what do I do? I well, John, that... I actually had a daughter like that. Oh, so good. did I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, and you have your daughter's permission to talk about yeah. this. So uh, <laughs> She still hasn't gotten her bike, but that's yeah, another story. up in the garage. What I, what I, She's 30 what, now. What worked, what worked beautiful with her was to say, this is the cost of what you did, but that's going to be lengthened if you badger me. We use the word badger. Oh, interesting. So it's not going to work to your advantage to stay, you know, so you only, let's say the bike, I don't remember that was an issue, but you lose your bike for three hours. If you stop talking now, (laughs) if you keep talking, it's going to be four hours. And if you keep coming down and Mm -hmm. arguing and all that, then it's going to be a day or two days or three days. So you just use it like that. And so disengagement's really important, and it needs to start at an early age. I tell parents in my clinic uh, with a three-year-old um, who's misbehaving in a certain way, they're trying to guide them and talk to them and distract them and get them into a different mode of thought. And I say, that's a lot of work for you to do. Mm. Just disengage and let them calm themselves. And when they're back to a normal state of mind, re-engage. And by doing that, you're giving them coping skills. Right. I mean, that's the, the 
beauty of it. Yes, you're, they're learning how to settle themselves down. Yeah, with disappointment, whatever it might be. Right. One of the areas in gist that you touched on, which I think is so critical, because we sometimes laugh at ourselves the way we distort reality for our kids. You know, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody did wonderfully, mm-hmm. even though that kid struck out 14 times <laughs> or whatever it might be. Tell me about why it's important to teach your kids knowing the truth as best as they can know it. It sounds like it's right out of the scripture. It is. I mean, that's what Jesus said to Pilate. Mm -hmm. I came to testify to the truth. And the truth is important to God. And the better we know truth and know ourselves that way, I think the healthier we are. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, And the scripture says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And that means that we have to have an honest view of ourselves, and our kids get that from us, and it creates a lot of problems with kids. You know, I've often said that kids are running out of things that are like a track meet or a swim meet. And if your kid runs track and they came in eighth, you can't tell them they won. But there aren't very many things in life like that. So kids need honest feedback, and they get a tremendous sense of stability it's almost a ballast in their life when they know that their parent will tell them the truth. And they'll tell them the truth about how good a singer they are, how talented they are, how tall they are, how athletic they are. And there's a way to do that lovingly, and it gives kids a different kind of self-esteem. It's really let's, powerful. You know, if I could, let's just role play that a bit for sure. the parents out there. So I'm the 8-year-old. I did strike out four times today at the Little League game. I'm not hitting the ball well. I'm batting ninth. Mm-hmm. And your dad. And okay. we're walking away from that little league game, and I say to you, Dad, man, I just don't feel like I can hit that ball. Kids laugh at me because I can't hit it. Yeah. And I would say this was not a good game. Absolutely. Now, it's still we still don't know for sure if you could learn to play better with practice, or maybe you're not cut out for baseball. That'll mm-hmm. take some time. So that's a real honest assessment of where that child is at and what they may or may not be able to do. Absolutely. And even if your child's face gets sad when they hear that, it's still a gift. It's a gift because it gives them the confidence to know that I can assess my... Kid, we need to protect kids' radar. That's a big part of self What do you mean by that, protect their radar? Well, radar is our ability to see a room, to see a situation, to um, know ourselves... And the more we lie to our kids, the more we distort their radar. Huh. And so the kid says, well, I have these friends at school and these kids on the team. And the fact that I'm riding the bench that tells me this, and then my parents are telling me this, and my radar is messed up now. I can't pick up what's really happening here. Oh, that's interesting. Well, Danny, I mentioned this earlier, but you probably have something more you can add to the dangers of telling your children that, you know what, you're special, honey, uh, because there is a balance between encouraging and affirming and, and setting unrealistic expectations. Yeah, we can do that very easily as parents. We want to tell them, hey, good, you're, you're good at this, you're good at that, because we want them to feel reassured and in the process, we accidentally create this idea that they have to be perfect at everything, they, that they are good at everything and can't fail at things. And really, it's for us as parents, we give observations of what they may be good at. We're discovering it with them mm. and then providing encouraging words, which could include life-giving words such as, yeah, you're, you still need to work on this part of what you're doing. What are you learning? Asking questions as to what they love, what they enjoy doing. 
and not being so worried about the performance part. That's going to take shape. And a good way to handle that is just use observations. Honey, I notice that you love basketball. Hmm. You love to play. And I notice that uh, you're dribbling. You, you, you seem to do that pretty naturally and that you're still working on your shot. And that's great. I'd love to continue to work on that shot with you if, if you let me. Allowing them to see that there's growth all along. It's not about uh, their identity being wrapped around mm-hmm. whether they're good or not. Uh, so let's lower our anxiety as parents and just go on the journey of growth with our kids, allowing them to fail and be imperfect and celebrating the fact that it is life-giving to grow and not be the best at everything. Mm. I appreciate your insights and wisdom, and we do highly recommend uh, the book by the guests in that clip, Michael Anderson and Dr. Timothy Johansson. It's called GIST, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids, and uh, it's a great resource offering simple, sound advice to prepare your children for adulthood. Uh, We're making that book, GIST, available as our thank you gift to you when you make a generous donation of any amount to the Ministry of Focus on the Family. Do that today. Uh, Donate by calling 800-A-FAMILY or look for details in the episode notes. We'll hear more from Michael and Timothy next time as they offer uh, do's and don'ts for helping your child develop a healthy self-identity. I'm John Fuller. On behalf of Danny and the entire team, thanks for joining us for the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast.